sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Y'all found that to be true? <laughs> some of you, yes. Yeah, some of you, no. I think um, I think it depends on the situation. I think it speak. Uh, it depends on the words that are spoken. I think it depends on who is speaking those words. Um, you know, words can be very powerful. Words can heal. Um, they can change an attitude or a spirit. They can destroy. I think we've seen um, over the last couple of years how uh, social media, not being careful what you post there, can really uh, destroy lives, careers, futures. Um, and yeah, I, I do think there is a sense in which sometimes we do get overly sensitive to words. Um, we apply them to ourselves when they weren't necessarily meant to be applied to us, or we read into people's words, connotations, or meanings that they really never intended themselves. But the heart of the reality is the fact that words can make a difference at times. Today, as we come to 1 Samuel chapter 3, we come to a, a very serious time in Israel's history. The passage starts in verse 1 with the sentence, In those days the word of Yahweh was rare and prophetic visions were not widespread. Here is Israel. They've entered into the land. This is following the, the period of Joshua. This is following the period of the judges. It's a very dark time. We've already noted that. And part of that darkness, I think, resides in this truth that the word of the Lord was rare. In Proverbs 29.18, you have a proverb that's sometimes misapplied. It says, where there is no vision, people die. And what I mean by misapplied is that sometimes I've heard preachers or others take that and say, we have to have a vision for the future. Because if we don't have a vision for the future, then we're going to die. That's not what the verse is saying. The word vision there is prophetic vision. And what, it's, what the writer of Proverbs is saying in, in that context, in that sentence, is if you don't have a word from the Lord, you're hopeless. That's what the writer of Proverbs is trying to say. As believers, to hear from God, to understand what God has to say is essential to our future. It's essential to our faith. It's essential to our walk, to our ministry to each other, to our ministry to the world. And here in chapter 3, we see that word from God begin to manifest itself through the person of Samuel. Follow along with me, if you will, as we begin in verse 1. It says, The boy Samuel served Yahweh in Eli's presence. In those days, the word of Yahweh was rare, and prophetic visions were not widespread. One day, Eli, whose eyesight was failing, was lying in his usual place before the lamp of God had gone out. Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, 
where the ark of God was come was located. Then the Lord, then Yahweh said, called Samuel, and he answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. I didn't call, Eli replied. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Once again, Yahweh called, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. He says, I didn't call, my son. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know Yahweh because the word of Yahweh had not yet been revealed to him. Once again, for the third time, Yahweh called Samuel. He got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli understood that Yahweh was calling the boy. He told Samuel, Go and lie down. If he calls you, say, Speak, Yahweh, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And Yahweh came and stood there and called as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel responded, Speak, for your servant is listening. This is a monumental moment in Israel's history. This is a, this is a huge transition from the way things were to the way things are going to be. Uh, for the next several centuries. Up to this point, you have not had a prophet in Israel. You've had some people who have been called up to say specific things. You've had some people fulfill certain prophetic roles, such as Moses. But you haven't had what we would classically define as a prophet. That is, an individual who hears from God, who sees visions from God, and who takes those, those messages and those visions and takes them to the people so that they understand God's will and God's desire and God's direction. Up to this point, it's largely been God speaking through a soul leader, saying this is the way we should go. Now God is going to speak through prophets. And it all begins here in the tabernacle. Now, my translation renders it temple. I don't know. Your translation may say the house of the Lord or so forth. Um, as I mentioned before, the temple at the, or the tabernacle at this point had been transformed into a, a, a permanent place. Uh, during Israel's wilderness wanderings and, and even into the time of Joshua, the, the tabernacle was very mobile. They could tear it down, they could move it, set it back up in different places. But now, at this point in their history, as they've, they've, they've come here, they've settled into the land, they've settled here uh, in the, the area of Shiloh, uh, not too far from Shechem. They have the tabernacle built, and they have turned it into a permanent structure of sorts. So that what you have is uh, the, the, the tabernacle itself surrounded by some apartments, so to speak, some rooms, some places where the priest is going to sleep, the place where Samuel's going to sleep. When it talks about Samuel sleeping uh, by, the, by the ark, it's not talking about in the actual Holy of Holies. It's talking about... He's sleeping there at the tabernacle. He is connected to God's presence. And the text tells us that Eli, is uh, his eyesight is failing. And, and that's probably both a, a physical indicator of what's going on between him and Samuel and a spiritual indicator of what's going on between him and Samuel. It probably has a, a dual message there. The physical side of it seems to be that Eli, in his old age, losing his sight and so forth, um, would often call upon Samuel to come and help him whenever he needed to get around. Okay. Eli being old and infirmed and, and struggling, being very heavy, the text tells us later on, 
Um, if he needed to get up in the middle of the night to do whatever was necessary, he would call Samuel, and Samuel would come in, and he would help him take care of whatever it was he was doing, and then they'd both go back to bed. And so they were there kind of in the same sleeping quarters. That explains why when Samuel hears a voice, his first inclination is to go to Eli and say, what's going on? I'm here to help. But there also seems to be a spiritual connotation to Eli's lack of sight. We've already seen the evil that pervades his ministry and his son. We've already seen God challenge him and, and come to him through, through a prophetic voice, as it were, and say to him, I'm going to end your line with you. There will be a new priestly line that takes over. There will be a new way of working that, that is, is coming your way. And we noted last week when that prophet spoke that it was important for us to understand that the, the nature of prophetic word is what? It's cause and effect. And that the prophet was judging Eli for where he's at, and Eli was what Eli was given at that moment was essentially a chance to repent. If Eli had at that moment turned his direction, corrected his sons, punished his sons, and rededicated himself to doing things the right way, God would have relented of that pronouncement. There's no doubt in my mind. But Eli has essentially given up. He's become apathetic. He's become somebody who's not seeing the things of God, who's not encountering the things of God, who's not interested really in the things of God anymore. He knows some of the steps to take because of his experience but he doesn't have a real vibrant life himself. For so many of us, myself included, I think sometimes we struggle because we settle into a Christian life where we know the steps to take, but we're not really driven by a vibrant encounter with God. Instead, we're doing the things, we're saying the things we know we're supposed to say, we know we're supposed to do. We come to church, we sit where we always sit, we we exchange the same words we exchange every single Sunday. But there's nothing vibrant there. There's not a, a, a knowledge of God there in the sense of, yeah, I'm walking with God, I'm loving God, and He's loving me. Remember what it was like to, to walk with God in that way? Most of us, it's, it's a... It takes us back to when we first came to Christ. Man, when you first come to Christ, you're on fire. You're telling everybody, I got saved. I got saved. Everybody's like, you got saved from what? You're like, well, let me tell you what I got saved from. I got saved from, from sin. I got saved from hell. I got saved from this. I got saved. You're just excited. You're telling everybody. Man, you can't wait to get into, into the water and get dunked. Let me, let, me, let me show everybody. I made this decision. I made this commitment. Somewhere along the way, that fire dies, and we settle into a status quo, a way of doing things that is the norm, but that's not alive. It's not joyful. There's a blindness that settles in. That's where Eli finds himself at this place. And what he needs, what Israel needs, what we need, is a word from the throne. We need God's voice to 
speak to us. And what we see in this chapter are the several things that, that the word from the throne does. I think the first thing we see is that the word from the throne deals creatively with our failures. God is always in the business of doing something new. Shaking things up. Stirring things up. Dealing creatively with with our failures. Here is Israel in this period of darkness. And the text says what? There's been no visions, no word. So what's God going to do? What's God going to do? God's going to call out a prophet. A prophet who's going to speak his word and communicate his visions. We see by the end of this chapter that that Samuel is enjoying, he's experiencing both the vision of God and the word from God. Verse 21, Yahweh continued to appear, that is show up, give visions in Shiloh, because there he revealed himself to Samuel by his word. He's moving in a new direction. Not only that, he's preparing for what's coming. This is a, a part of God's moving. God's moving isn't just reactionary. It's also proactive. What's about to come? The monarchy's about to come. We're, we're about to get a king. We're, we're just a, a couple chapters away from Samuel anointing Israel's first king, Saul. And with the monarchy comes a whole new set of issues a whole new set of problems as it pertains to how we relate to God, how Israel would relate to God. Because with the monarchy, the leadership of Israel is not determined so much from God's anointing. That may be the initial step with Saul, the initial step with David, but after that, the selection of the king is decided how? My dad was king, therefore I get to be king. And in that environment, in that situation, where is the voice of God? Where is the one who can stand up and be the spirit-raised leader who speaks the words of God, who directs the nation, and who corrects them when they get off of track? That's the prophet. That's the role of the prophet. And you see that play out throughout the, the book of Samuel, throughout the book of Kings, where the prophet comes to the king the one who's supposed to be the, the ruler of the nation, but the prophet comes and does what? He chastises the king. He corrects the king. He punishes the king. He redirects the king. So that in many ways, the prophet is the leader of Israel. God is laying the foundation for that right here. I'm going to call the prophet. I'm going to create the office of prophet in Israel's midst before I create the office of king. I'm going to create the sense of priority, the sense of position. And in our own lives and in our own experiences, the failures that we've come through, the, 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 the mistakes that we've made, God is still interested in using you, in, in ministering to you, in ministering through you. God still has a purpose for your life. No matter what 
sin you committed, no matter what failure you carried out, God has a plan for you and a purpose for you in his kingdom. I think too often, like the gentleman I talked about last week who, who refused salvation because he thought he'd gone too far, I think too often Christians believe we have stepped outside of the, the realm of usefulness for God because of some mistakes we've made, some decisions we've made, some commitments that we failed to follow through on or, or commitments that were faulty that we did follow through on. But our God is a God of creative engagement. He's a God who, who has already taken into account your failures, already taken into account your, your, your stupidity, if you will. And that should be comforting to us to know that he's taken that account and he still loves us. He still wants to use us. He's still working in ways to, to shape and mold and drive and direct us. In my life, in my experience, I've, I've seen countless individuals who, um, who made some, some major mistakes even after coming to Christ, and God used them in powerful ways. Sharing their story of deliverance. And even beyond that, just being faithful out of the gratefulness of the fact that God was still with them even though they made these mistakes. God here is keeping the Spirit at the forefront of Israel. He's speaking to this young one who is a priest. And he's saying, not only are you going to be a priest, I'm going to make you a prophet. I'm going to do something extraordinary in your midst. I think a second truth about the Word of God is that it, it's not limited by age, but does take some experience to understand. In verse 7, it says of Samuel what? It says, Samuel did not yet know Yahweh, because the word of Yahweh had not yet been revealed to him. What does that mean? Does that mean that Samuel had no relationship with God? No, that's not what... The writer's trying to communicate here. He's saying, he's saying that in his walk with God, he had not experienced God on this level. He had not encountered God, engaged with God enough to understand his voice, enough to understand when he's speaking. And we need to understand that, that part of the journey of, of hearing from God and and, and Encountering God comes from the reality of experience. Sometimes we struggle with what is God's will for my life? What is God trying to direct me and what is God trying to communicate to me? And a big part of that growth and understanding those truths and understanding that, that direction that God's offering a matter experience. It's simply a matter of, of being able to listen for the right things. There's a story told of a company that was hiring 
telegraph was brand new. It was becoming the fastest method of long distance communication and company was hiring most, uh, Morse, Morse code operators. This young man came to the company and he walked into the office and, and it was filled with applicants. It was just people all around the room. He grabbed his application, filled it out, and sat, out, sat down waiting for his invitation into the interview. And a few minutes later, the same young man stood up, walked into the room, and began to be interviewed. And everybody else there was wondering, what on earth? We didn't hear anybody invite him in. We didn't see anybody invite him in. Why does he, he was the last one to show up, why does he get up and walk in like that? And a few minutes later, the hiring manager steps out. He says, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming, but the job has just been filled. And they're like, wait a minute. We didn't get a chance to interview. We didn't get a chance to, to talk to you. We, I don't understand. He was the last to come in. Why does he get the job? That's not fair. And the employer said, well, simply put, all the time you've been sitting here, the telegraph over there has been checking in Morse code. If you can understand this message and come right in, the job is yours. He was the only one who heard the message. He was the only one who heard the word. He was the only one who was tuned in to what was going on in that space, in that time. It takes experience to interpret God's word correctly. It takes experience to, to hear what God is trying to direct you in your own life through his word. It takes a commitment to, to following through. It takes an attitude of servanthood. Notice Samuel's words here. Here I am. It's an expression in the culture that, that was an expression of a, of a servant responding to his master. It's an expression that simply says, whatever you need. Because Samuel was ready to hear that, because Samuel was willing to hear that, he was invited into this experience, this calling. Now, part of the reason we don't hear the word as well is because we want to define what the word is that's coming to us. And we need to understand, and I believe this passage sets out that the word from the throne sets the parameters by which all life functions. As Samuel is standing here before God, if you continue reading on into verse 11 and following, what you see is God restating the judgment he had expressed about Eli previously. He's telling Samuel, the things I said about Eli are now going to come to pass. I gave him his chance. I gave him the opportunity to repent. I gave him the opportunity to, to, to redirect. I gave him the opportunity to respond. And he refused me. He ignored me. He shrugged his shoulders at me. 
Therefore, I'm going to be doing something significant. He says, I'm going to do something that's going to cause all Israel to shudder at what has taken place. And I think what God is establishing here, and it's, it's a message that Samuel's going to carry with him throughout his ministry, throughout uh, his, his preaching and teaching, is that God establishes the rules by which we function. We don't get to redefine those. Later on to Saul, he's going to say, God desires obedience, not sacrifice. The first one to utter that sentence. What's he getting at? He's getting at the truth that God's laying on his heart right here. I establish the boundaries of activity. I establish the boundaries of life. If you're going to operate, if you're going to function in a way that, that's appropriate, you live within those boundaries. But we've become a culture who's all about getting rid of boundaries. About defining our own boundaries. I decide what's right and what's wrong for me. So sexual purity's gone out the window. Respect of our elders is gone. Even just a, a basic appreciation for truth has disappeared in our culture. And we've become the, I know you say that, but I say it differently, and I've heard it differently, people. To walk in such anarchy, to walk in, in such self-centered mentality is to walk in a way that's in opposition to God's Word. Even apart from His commands and how we interpret them and apply them, just the basic notion that my way of doing things takes priority over anybody else's is an affront to God's direction, God's commands. And when that happens, judgment will follow. We need to be reminded, we need to be cognizant of God's clear teaching in His Word about what's right and what's wrong. Sin is still sin. And we need to be mindful of that. Not to become Pharisees who are pointing at everybody else, but to become that, that, that beggar who's praying right alongside the Pharisees saying, God, will you even hear me? I'm such a sinful person. We need to be looking at ourselves more clearly. Eli had had his chance, and he ignored him, and so now God's going to raise up Samuel. And Samuel, walking in this way, walking in this truth, becomes a, a, a man that Israel could count on. Notice what it says in, in verse 19. Samuel grew, and Yahweh was with him, and he fulfilled everything Samuel prophesied. 
The Hebrew there says, he didn't let a single word of Samuel's fall to the ground. Why? Because Samuel was walking within the parameters of what God had established. Because Samuel understood that God desires obedience rather than sacrifice. We've grown up with the premise it's easier to get forgiveness than permission. And that's probably true in many respects. But that's not the path God has called us to walk. The throne, the word from the throne also calls us to service. Samuel didn't hear from the Lord just for the sake of hearing from the Lord. Samuel didn't hear from the Lord just because he he needed some encouragement. Samuel didn't hear from the Lord just because um, it was a good thing to happen. Samuel heard from the Lord because there was a task that needed to be carried out. There was a job that needed to be done. There were people who needed to be ministered to. There were directions that needed to be changed. God comes to the willing. And he calls us to obedience. We have to ask ourselves, are we responding the way Samuel does here? Here I am. It's words we've heard on the lips of Moses. It's words we will hear on the lips of Isaiah. Here I am. What do you want me to do? Whatever it is, I'm ready. Whatever it is, I'm ready. He's written a a blank check of his life to the Lord and said, fill it in, God. Fill it in. But too often, we're people who will write a, a check or or make an offer based upon this part of our life. I'll give you this part of my life, God. And and then I'll only give you that part of my life if if it works out. If things start to go south, things start to go in the wrong direction, you know what? I'm going to pull that back and I'm going to take control once again. We've lost a sense. I've lost a sense of total abandonment to God. His will, His direction. I don't trust Him like I should. I don't listen to Him like I should. I let fear, I let doubts, I let I let pride, I let arrogance and, and selfishness get in the way of things He's called me to do. And I wonder if the same is true of you. Are you listening to God? with ears that say, whenever, wherever, whatever, I'm ready to go. Let's do it. Because the last thing this text tells us is that those who do respond, the Word of God transforms. He changes. It's interesting that the shift you see in verses 9 and 10, 
Samuel is dependent upon Eli. In verses 17 and 18, Eli is completely dependent upon Samuel. Within the course of one evening, one evening, they totally switch positions in terms of their authority and their position before God. Samuel has been changed by the powerful word of God. Brothers and sisters, today I want you to know that same transformation is available to you. And how does it come? By listening to the word of God. We need to get our Bibles open. We need to get our hearts set. We need to become obedient to the Word of God. Brother Tim, I, I would be if, if I had the experience like Samuel. You know, if God showed up one night in the middle of the night, man, whatever you told me to do, I'd do. Jesus said, you have the law and the prophets. You don't need some supernatural engagement anymore. His word is sufficient. His revelation is complete. His truth is undeniable. And his call is unmistakable. When he says to do something, we need to do it. Wherever he leads, I'll go. We sing it. Do we mean it? Whatever he says, I'll do. Is that true? God's word is more powerful than any word. It's a word that creates. It's a word that brings life from death. It's a word that brings clarity out of confusion. We need to train ourselves to hear it. And the best way to train ourselves to hear it is to be engaged in it. My junior year in high school, I was I was blessed. My dad got a job in Jamaica, and he brought the family along for a month. And one of the things that stuck out to me most about being there in Jamaica at first was how everybody there was speaking English, but I couldn't understand a word any of them were saying. I kept telling them, could you just slow down just a little bit? Slow your speech down just a little bit so I can understand what you're saying. But one of the things I noticed is by the end of that month, I understood them just fine. Why? Because I had lived with them. I had conversed with them. I had listened to them. I had come to understand them. 
through being present with them. And that principle is still very true in my spiritual life with God. Sometimes we, even though we speak in our language, we don't understand what he's saying. Why? Because we haven't spent enough time with him to make out his dialect. We need to be spending time in his word. We need to be spending time in prayer and worship. And when he speaks, we need to be obedient and act on that. That's how we grow in our understanding. That's how his word begins to transform. That's what he's calling us to this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the clarity with which you speak. And that you don't leave us to our own devices and our own confused ways of dealing with things. God, I pray that you help us to be obedient. I pray firstly, if there's anyone here who has never accepted you, never entered into a relationship with you, who does not know you in a personal way, God, that you would draw them right now. And they would experience that first act of obedience by surrendering their life to you. God, I also pray for myself and my brothers and sisters here that we would spend more time in your word. We would spend more time listening to you. We would be, spend more time being obedient to you and what you've called us to. Help us, Lord. We lay ourselves for you and surrender and obedience. Help us, Lord, to walk in faithfulness, in a new way of living, in a way that truly makes a difference in the world that we're engaged in. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Oh, <laughs>